Hello everybody. Um, this month kind of got away from me, so uh, I'm probably not going to be able to put out two episodes this month, and I will pick things back up in July. Um, however, I did fix an issue with old VLVC content. So uh, there was some hosting issues with the old Very Legal, Very Cool episodes, and they disappeared from the internet. So I had to relaunch a new RSS feed for it and do all sorts of fun stuff with that. And so because of that, I've spent the last few days re-uploading everything from that old show. Um, I have decided just to kind of keep some stuff flowing on this feed that I am going to upload two episodes I particularly liked from old VLVC and uh, hope you guys enjoy them. Uh, I think they still kind of hold up. So this first episode here that I'm dropping is going to be called Portraits of War Gods. It was originally published on April 12th, 2021, and it is uh, the episode that I kind of introduced Mammonberg at the time and brought on Jackal to talk about painting. Um, and specifically, we got into Caravaggio and talked a bunch about the Haitian Revolution. So I hope you enjoy. feels like it's just like chaos at this college all the time <laughs> the wi-fi has been down for five days it just came back today right though um, the the chinese have been hacking into your schools so yeah your school yeah wifi. yeah the the communist uh, communists have hacked in um also my apartment on campus uh doesn't have ac right now which i i forgot about that until i stepped in right before recording this and was just like oh <laughs> god it's yeah. so hot in here <laughs> i i know the feeling my uh <laughs> my dorm at my college back when um back when you know school was in person and not you know through through my computer screen um yeah uh what happened uh was that uh i the, the dorm building that that uh, i was in it was extremely old um i think it was like from the i think that building specifically was sort of from like back when the school was founded like in the 1860s mm -hmm. so it's an old building and because of that it doesn't have that building specifically did not have modern air conditioning oh god <laughs> what you had when it got hot was uh your windows yep yep and they, I remember, I, I'm, this is going to stick out to me, uh, I think for the rest of my life, I'm going to be on my deathbed. I'm going to remember this moment, um, <laughs> was when we were driving up to the, like, so for, uh, for anyone who was not aware, I, uh, I'm not going to specify where, what state I was in, but I will specify that I was coming from New York state. Um, yeah. uh, the city specifically. So we were coming from New York city to somewhere in the Midwest. <laughs> and that which drive, is a culture shock in and of itself it is I'm a culture certain. shock there was <laughs> I, I remember that when we were going through i think it was ohio um was it ohio it was some midwestern state with a lot of corn 
Um, yeah, that stuff's not that describes all of it. Not, not helpful at all. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so we were driving through one of the the flatlands of the United States, um, uh-huh. and suddenly the radio that we were listening to, which I think was just sort of like, like you ever put the radio on it? It's just like it's like pop music. You're not really paying attention to it, but it's like background yeah. noise. Oh God, I know. I think I know where this is going. <laughs> we switch. It switched from that to conservative talk radio oh yeah 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 <laughs> i i thought you were gonna say you were like listening to what you thought was pop music and then all of a sudden the chorus would come in and be like praise the lord it'd be like a <laughs> no it would like it would, if that? it was gospel i it would be less of sort of like mm-hmm. a it would be less than of a whiplash oh. than conservative talk radio oh to to be clear there's no gospel music in the midwest it's it's crappy worship music it's oh, like hills up. yeah there's right. no because yeah, gospel's good and so we can't right, have yeah. that yeah <laughs> sorry it takes me like because uh, for me like when i think of worship music that's gospel music that's what i'm gospel thinking music, of yeah because like that's what that's what i grew up with like uh yeah. uh what was uh, one song that one song that always stuck with me was uh i'm i'm going to see the king um it's oh, a beautiful yeah. song um it's beautiful it's harmonious it's mm-hmm. just like when you get into it and when you're singing and it, it get like there's this great sense of community with the yeah. people that that you're you're singing it with especially if like it's a funeral or or something like that it's it, it, this mm-hmm. the song has this this feeling of of uh of uh like stubborn hopefulness in in yeah. you know at death yeah, no, but I then like when you listen to the, like evangelical rock, it's like what what is terrible. what is this? Yeah, there there's kind of like a, a a much more meaning to like gospel music and specifically black gospel music, I think, than a lot of the evangelical stuff I was raised around. There's a previous guest on the show who mentioned that worship music is one of the things that actually kind of killed his faith. And I was going to say, you being around gospel music, that might be why you stayed the chorus. <laughs> honestly, it's actually good I think music. That's pretty right. <laughs> no, I think for real, though, I think that there's there's a kind of a, I think that there's like a kind of a not me and uh-huh. just like almost like this office space kind of, of mundanity mm-hmm. to very sort of like dry standard of like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say evangelical because it kind of is a buzzword, but it it's very much of a particular kind of, of like white Christianity, I think. Yeah, no, for sure. I think you could tell the difference between the different kinds of Christian cultures that people grow up in. Yeah. Um, and I do think that being exposed to, to uh, black gospel music and sort of like black Christian culture, which is not without its own criti- criticisms. Oh, sure. Um, no. I, I don't, I, most Christianity has its issues. <laughs> most Christianity, <laughs> I would say, has a lot of problems, quite a bit of it. Uh, yeah. But I think that there's, I, I don't know, I from what I grew up with, there was a bit, there was something more substantial there, even with the music, than mm-hmm. what I can hear if you turn on, like, if you just throw, like, a standard, like, worship um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, station, it's like, hur, 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 hur. yeah, it's... Not, <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of feels vacuous. It is vacuous. Uh, before we get any deeper into this, uh, I should probably formally introduce the show. Uh, probably. Yeah. Welcome to Very Legal, Very Cool, uh, a, a podcast about how uh, music sucks. I don't know. And, and painting is good. I don't know. That, that works. That's, those are very true.
mentality's sake, I should say. Right. right. Yeah, we'll, right. Go, we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, so today I am joined by uh, Jackal um, at Jackal Jester on Twitter, also uh, fellow co-host of Mammonberg. Uh, which is, you know, beginning my slow process of secretly plugging Mammonberg on VLVC while Jared's gone. That's uh, right. He, he can't stop me. So, coup d'etat. This is all part of our secret ploy to to coup the podcast. And it's, <laughs> I mean, technically, it succeeded since Jared is not here. So, in a way, we already won. Uh, I guess yeah. formality-wise, I'm supposed to ask you what you're drinking. Uh, but, you, but, you know, I'm drinking water, so. I'm drinking uh, seltzer water. So we're getting crazy this episode. Where it's a, I, I, I don't, now listen, I know that this is a little exciting, but this water has some bubbles in it. This, so, is, this is some spicy water here. So. This is some spicy water. I know that 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 this may be a little exciting, a little bit dangerous, but we'll, we'll get through it. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I guess what. Who are you? Uh, I didn't really prepare any questions, but I, I guess what's your elevator pitch of who you are? That's a very existential question, Josiah. Uh, think about it for a bit. Uh. I guess. <laughs> who am I? No, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, what you you do um, illustration? You you study that? You study art? I uh, I study uh, illustration um, along with art history hmm. and uh, creative writing. Currently, I'm uh, I'm interested in kind of like the uh, the politics of art and how it ties into its history. Um, and sort of like once you once you sort of like look through art and its sort of relationship with politics and with uh, um, like politics, religion, um, there it's all very like intertwined. And uh, it's it's interesting how um, there's at least sort of like uh, I was in AP classes uh, as a, as a high school student and. Going into art history, there's actually very little difference between standard history and art history. It's just that here you're talking about the paintings that your teacher is showing you on the screen, and yeah. what they're like, how they're related to the political context that they, to the political and socio-economic context uh, that they were produced in. Um, um, no, I, I really agree with the whole not much of a distinction between art history and history. Um, and, and why I strongly agree with that also is because, um, you know, I'm, I'm finishing my, my history capstone for college right now. Um, and it's, you know, history, not art history. However, my topic is religious imagery in Haiti. Uh, right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a pretty blurred line because I'm, I'm making my way into art history, despite that not being my degree technically. Right. I think that like, it's, I think it's simply as a, as a consequence of that you're talking about history that you're going to if you're talking about history you're going to have to talk about art at some point something yeah well because it it makes people do stuff generally or it expresses stuff at the very least you also got like art is one of the is i think uh, probably like a core tenet of of what makes us human is yeah uh that abstract the ability of abstract thinking like that um yeah so it's it's very old to us. I think it's probably like one of the oldest. Uh, I think you could argue like it's one of the oldest drives in like sapiens. Um, yeah, that's that's a uh, G.K. Chesterton has like an argument like that where he's like, what makes you know why you can tell humans aren't just animals is because you know the earliest relics we have of humans is them choosing to draw on walls. Um, yeah, it's that because yeah. drawing has no 
and this will hurt me somewhat as uh, as someone who's who's studying it, but drawing has no inherent value from uh, mm -hmm. from like a well, from like a practical point of view. If you're if you're thinking purely on the basis of survival, there's no point other than maybe making instructions. Um, yeah. But even then, you can communicate that if you have the ability for speech, you can communicate that verbally. Right. But right. And. And and so the ability to create something that is not for sort of like pure survival, I think shows a like it shows a type of behavior that you're not pure like you're it's not just animal. It's not just uh that you're basing it off of your survival or your group survival. You're doing it because it gives you some type of deeper fulfillment. Yeah. And that yeah. implies that there's some kind of there's a deeper thinking that's that's mm -hmm. going on inside than just you know base animal instinct. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with that. That was, um, I think for me, the thing that prevented me toward moving toward just like pure materialist atheism was uh, was partially the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Um, but in in that book, he describes like. Um, how people, you know, he, he was in Auschwitz um, as a, you know, a, a Jew in Auschwitz, and and he he observed how people in that situation would draw on the walls, and you know, he he as a psychoanalyst uh, couldn't really initially make sense of it because it kind of seemed to violate the pleasure principle, you know, like there there was no way this, you know, it didn't seem that sex was actually the thing motivating people in those dire circumstances it actually was like hope and meaning and that was expressed right. in like art and family and whatever but yeah we've got a uh, humans we've got other stuff that drives us other than sex i mean sex is a big part of it but yeah it plays a role for sure it plays a role but i think that it's kind of i think it kind of shows like a 19th century kind of view of human psyche if you just purely that all of it is based off like it's like me mechanistic. Yeah, it's very mechanistic when that's... I mean, if you just look at human behavior in general, there's a lot of stuff that we do that is not based off of sort of like the drive to for like the search for sex. Mm -hmm. I also think that you can go uh, too far the opposite where it's like sex is not a drive at all, like just something sort of tertiary. Yeah, um, and, and that's just logically not true because that's, you know, yeah. we need I mean, it to be alive and continue the species so obviously also if you like have also if you've been on the internet at any at any point in time that's, <laughs> that's a, like have, have you like right, right at every any internet space any kind will have some kind of hornyness to it this yeah, is something that's inherent to humans it is but so we've also we're a little bit more complicated uh, mm -hmm. than than just uh like sex themes i think right right oh <laughs> I, I should also say what i'll say what uh my persona yeah, yeah. on twitter um yeah I'm uh I'm what you could call a shit poster. On yeah, I've, I've heard of this. Uh... <laughs> it's a it's an art form, my dear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, what I do on Twitter is that I uh, because I'm cursed as a human being, I am found. I, I find the most <laughs> awful takes uh, from various kinds of people, uh, whether they have a blue check mark or not. Um, mm -hmm. And I comment on them on where they should shove a two by four into. <laughs> yeah, which orifice they they should insert some. You know. Sometimes, if they're talking out of that orifice, shoving the mm -hmm. two by four up there will stop the talking. Yeah, and that's kind of the that's kind of the goal there. <laughs> Basically, my my goal at Twitter is I I want to bully um I, I want to be bully people that I disagree with. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
That's and I now I'm gonna stand by that statement because yeah. I think that that's I think uh, it's good to bully people sometimes I, if they deserve it. I mean, like uh, like like uh, like that time I, I told Stephen Crowder to eat dog cub. That's yeah. Yeah, that you did do that. But uh, yeah, I I also uh, I guess you could say I'm larping as a Puritan witchfinder general general as well. <laughs> you also post hotep memes because they're yeah. God's gift of the world. I love I love the I love the Twitter persona. It's a good time. Uh, you know, fellow person trying to you know own you know various writers for the National Review or whatever. Rich Lowry. Or sometimes they can be, you know, uh, a bed bug like Brett Stevens. Oh, uh-huh, like Brett Stevens. <laughs> hey, that's anti-Semitic. You can't. No, I hear you, I see you, and I want you to know that I'm trying to improve. <laughs> Jackal, Jackal's canceled already. Yes. <laughs> I'm. Let's be honest. I've I, I've been canceled for a while. That's <laughs> honestly same. <laughs> So, uh, you want to talk about painting? Let's talk about painting. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about painting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, All let's right. do it. Let's talk about painting. Painting is 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 uh, is, is really hard. <laughs> it's very <laughs> difficult. Um, I, like, okay, so I'll, I guess I'll I, I'll put you on the hot seat, Jose. Jose, what do you know about painting? Oh, uh, nothing about technique. A little bit about the history. Um, okay, it's it's really hard. Uh, I am. Uh, I, I, I like, I like Renaissance painting. I, I like the realism of them. I, I like, um, uh, oh fuck. Why my, uh, impressionist paintings are generally my, my favorite style, like that middle ground between, uh, perfect realism, but not, you know, it, the, the middle ground between realism and like, complete and, and the abstract. Yeah. 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 I like, I like that middle ground where it's kind of fuzzy, um, which also is, is my attraction more and more to Haitian art as well. Cause it's got kind of that. It, it kind of falls in. It's not impressionist, but it's um. It has sort of a impressionistic. Yeah, it yeah. comes into the surrealism. It's um, you know, at, at, when when I get to talk about Haiti a little more, you know, it falls into what's called the primitivist movement, which I I don't like that term at all. But it's you know, it's the term that's used. So, yeah, that's yeah. also something I've come across. Yeah, it feels it feels always sort of like ah, that really doesn't. That feels like such a reductive way to talk about this kind of this kind of like art movement, but that that is the well, it's, academic it's how they, they identified themselves. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's, that's, that's <laughs> it's. And I think that once the, like once the like it's identified as that, there's really nothing else you can do about it because that's yeah. what they that and there's and you like the reason why they're doing it is so that they can harken back to i think you can maybe say they're decolonializing the term primitivism yeah but yeah so uh you like yeah. uh you, you like impressionism you like yeah uh, yeah i like... um why, why am i blanking on water lilies uh who did water lilies um um uh, that would be hold on i've seen them in person and they were so beautiful um oh monet oh uh, okay you're thinking about Monet. okay yes Monet. yeah yeah uh i love yeah i like i like monet a lot um a lot of a lot of my taste in art is uh specifically uh the the stuff i was able to see when i went to paris one time um and so right, i'm naturally to attracted to like french french painters just kind of by impulse um right and 
I, I've more and more grown an attachment to medieval art too. Just as I've gotten more kind of Catholic, it's, it's hard <laughs> not. It's hard not to, you know. It's when you get it to. I guess I've seen this. It could go either two directions. You either get really into Baroque, or you really get into medieval art. I haven't. I haven't taken the Baroque route yet. I'm sure that'll come around at some point. But which? Uh, okay, yeah. so I want to ask you a question. Um, yeah, go and for it. It will. It, uh, it'll. I think it'll characterize a sort of jumping off point that I want to get into while we're uh, on painting. Mm -hmm. Is Caravaggio a Renaissance painter? So I, I can't think of who Caravaggio is. I can. All right. I don't want you to look it up because I'll say, okay, but okay. I will, right. I will, I'll send you a painting. A, uh, I'll send you a painting. Um, okay. That'd be great. Uh, in fact, this might be one of his most famous paintings um, that uh, I'll, I'll send. Oh yes. Oh Yes. Okay, I, I have a hard time with this. I, I I guess in some sense the realism makes me think of Renaissance. However, there's a, like a romanticism to it. It feels like um, I don't know if I'm correct in that, but that's that's. So I'm gonna say not a Renaissance painter. However, that would be correct. Okay, but it seems like it would be Renaissance. He was of the early Baroque movement. Um, okay. Yeah. And Baroque is uh, basically Baroque is uh, is sort of like it's a style and movement of that you would sort of like broadly. It was sort of broadly architecture and music and sculpture. But when you're talking about like painting, it's uh, you're you're specifically talking about um, very bold colors, very bold uses of black, um, and also yeah. a dynamism. Um, there's something like there's something kind of uh, both otherworldly yet in intimate to them. Um, yeah. So yeah. it combines. They combine kind of that. Uh, the uh, with a lot of art. Um, and, and this will sort of. I, I can also get into comics a bit here because uh, this this is also talked about there. The the sacred and the profane of sort of like the earthly and the and, and the divine. Um, yeah. Those sort of like two pushes in art. Whether you go for the otherworldly or the sort of like the 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 base. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, with Caravaggio, Caravaggio had this like. This it has elements of of the Renaissance there. However, there's there's this kind of dynamism to his figures and to his, but there's also this realism there. Like this is a painting of Saint Peter that I'm I'm, I'm showing Josiah. Um, yeah. And there's I think that there's kind of this realism to the figure that's even more real than you would see in Renaissance because in Renaissance art it's idealized, but here there's something a lot more a lot more realistic to the depiction of Saint Peter. Um, that's that's a really interesting point because I when I generally think of Renaissance I think of that as as realism but you're right it's like idealized realism and it's it's later that it gets more realistic that's yeah yeah because uh, Renaissance art was like I think this was even covered in like a, a AP European class I had was like Renaissance art is very it is it is very ideal it's very Greco Greco Roman mm -hmm. um, Hellenistic yes, inspired yes. and the, and Hellenistic art is idealized art um it's of the idealized figure mm -hmm. so yeah. because of that like uh let's take uh take the depiction of like the most famous piece of renaissance art is probably like uh michelangelo's david right mm -hmm. if you look at david there's a lot like it's a fantastic piece of sculpture and of, of sort of like human an anatomical study mm -hmm. however if you want to think if you want to think like okay yeah he doesn't look very uh semitic he looks very european right yeah He's, yeah, in a lot of senses, uh, that's where like our white Jesus comes from. Is like his yeah, paintings. Yeah, right? he's from yeah. the he's from Rasa. Like the they these figures do not look very they don't look very Semitic. Uh, mm. David is 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 uncircumcised, which he definitely would not have been. 
Uh, <laughs> he's uh, and there's also like the the and you also see these for other figures too with with uh, Michelangelo. So like these are idealized male forms. Like they're mm-hmm. and then the particular Hellenistic ideal of of the of the male form. They're untainted, un un uh, un unaltered, um, muscul like muscular in a very sort of. Mm-hmm. Not in sort of like our modern idea of like a bodybuilder kind of muscular, but a muscular in a in like a that meant sort of like strength and aesthetic yeah. beauty. Yeah. Um, but with Caravaggio, there's a there's and tell me if you see it. There's something more human to this depiction than you might yeah. see in Renaissance yeah. art. Yeah. No, I agree. Even the you can like uh you can see like the halo above him. The halo is faint. Yeah, it's 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 disappearing. Yeah, which is yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, it's it's Renaissance is is in in a sense paintings of gods, even if it's people, it's it's you know, humans, it's it's gods. Um, yeah. As this because is like, it was inspired yeah, by it was inspired by Hellenistic art. And a lot of Hellenistic art was depicting mm-hmm. emperors and gods and you want to make them grandiose. Yeah. That's uh so I I brought Caravaggio up because I think he's a very interesting um individual. Um mm-hmm both as an individual and kind of his particular style of painting. So uh, I'll give you sort of like a broad, broad strokes about Caravaggio. Caravaggio was a, he was a post-Renaissance artist born in um, uh, in Milan um, to uh, sort of like what I think you could roughly call them a middle-class family. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that term wasn't applied then, but they were like, a, his father was, was like an artisan. So like they weren't yeah. wealthy, but they were comfortable. Um, right. Right. Enough that he like he got an apprenticeship um, to like go study art. Typically in painting, there's uh, you have a lot of people will do, when they're painting they will do an underdrawing or underpainting or studies or before they move on to their final painting um, mm-hmm. so that they they know what they're what they're doing. And this is not just exclusive to painting. Um, other this is like in any other kind of, of visual art is that you're going to do a thumbnail, you're going to do a sketch, you're going to do something before you get to that final piece. Right. Um, so that you you don't fuck up on the final that um, because especially with paint that is very if you're not working with watercolors it's very hard to reverse like this um, yeah. and also like keep in mind the scale that uh, they're working with is like big these are very big pa- paintings yeah yeah Caravaggio was unique in that that painting that you're looking at there josiah mm-hmm. that had no underdrawing there was no sketch he didn't do any he just went onto the canvas and painted christ that's insane that's i've there's only there are very few people that are that could uh that could just sort of like do that i can't do that right right very few artists i know can like do that like there's um a particular artist that that uh, a modern artist that's an example of that's like kim jong-ji a korean illustrator mm-hmm. who has like photographic memory he can draw like he doesn't need an underdrawing. He doesn't need a sketch. He doesn't even use pencil. He'll just go with a pen and draw whatever comes to his mind. That's incredibly accurate, both perspective and anatomically. Yeah. However, I think that there's like Caravaggio just went in with like painting. Like there, mm-hmm. like he didn't. There was there was no sketch. Yeah. Even like uh, Michelangelo and uh, famously Leonardo da Vinci did sketches. Caravaggio. Wow. I think like uh, to me, he kind of uh, emphasizes a. Uh, like you would see this, like Caravaggio um, is is I think you could call him like an early one of the examples of like modern. It's not quite modern because it still definitely is sort of like flavored by Renaissance art, but it has uh it it has like stuff that you would later see 
in, yeah, in modern art. Depends on yeah, depends on what you what you define as modern. Um, because yeah, I, I think of like 1600s as as the big as the early modern period, but um, American history doesn't teach it like that, so it gets complicated. I don't know. Yeah, um, it, it all depends. And technically, the father of modern art is uh is um uh, Francisco Goya, my boy. Um, my boy, yeah, that's but, the only that that I think you, that. Goya being your boy means that's the the podcast's official artist because that's the only artist that's ever come up twice on here. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think Goya is your is the official Mammonberg artist because of the yeah. uh, of the the sad painting that he did. Yes, God, I love that. I I really I really want to bully Claire into doing more um, flat art Goya paintings. I would love for I I would totally buy like I, stickers of flat art Goya. You uh you should she does uh, have a red bubble. Um I bought I have a I have that Saturn devouring his son on the back of my laptop. It's awesome. Oh shoot. Okay. I'll it's have to I'm gonna have to go go take a look at a red bubble soon. Yeah, it's super good. I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> I'm also gonna show you another uh, another painting here. Um, yeah. and I'll put the I'll put the title, and uh, I'll I'll give a, a note about this, and then we can talk a little bit about Goya's life because I want to. Mm. It's not going to be too much into detail, but I want for you to. I'm going to give some some insights to this painting, um, and then we mm. could talk about the insane life of Goya and how I think that from from the since time immemorial, uh, all artists are crazy people. Yeah, um, that get into insanely very specific fights and beefs mm -hmm. um this is uh, obviously sort of like uh judith beheading um uh holla ferns i'm never able to pronounce that <laughs> it's a it's a like the deuterocanonical book of judith um yeah, yeah. the 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 syrian general um Holoferns. um and this is a typical painting that you that you've seen a lot of and there's actually um there's a very interesting depiction of this done by a woman painter who was sexually assaulted mm. um that kind of uh to for the audience who doesn't know uh typically when this is done in painting um it is judith like beheading the head of the the syrian general um mm -hmm. and uh there's a the 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 woman painter which i'll have to find her name for later um mm -hmm. she uh she when she was sexually assaulted there was there's very interesting analysis that goes into the painting that that the painting was a way of her sort of getting some kind of therapy uh, of sort of like a, a woman like beheading beheading this... a, a patriarchal like tyrant yeah 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 that's good um in fact that painting is even more bloody than this one and that's it because this is a fairly graphic painting yeah um, yeah it is so this uh this is a painting of of uh, of judith i'm getting ready to put a holofern's head in a sack as she's beheading beheading him and uh, does that? I want you to to somewhat uh, describe the uh, what's what's going on with the uh, Hollingfords here. Yeah, so we've got um, he's uh, laying down. Um, we've got Judith kind of slicing his neck open pretty deep, and he's kind of like looking up, horrified. I, it looks like he's kind of like crawling out of somewhere. Um, I, I kind of I'm fascinated by how peaceful she looks while she's doing it. That's kind of fascinating to me. Because it doesn't look like this aggressive thing; it just looks like she's just doing it. Uh, for the for those listening, you may or may not know the story of uh, the, the 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 Book of Judith. It does depend on what Bible you have. Yeah, well, it depends on if you're if you're a Protestant or not, right? Yeah, because that's a, even, it's a Catholic one. Yeah, but even like I think like it's such a famous depiction that even if you're not Catholic, you kind of know the story yeah. of this roughly. Um, yeah. 
So, uh, the look on his face, uh, how would you characterize it? I mean, kind of mortified. Um, I don't know. His like mouth is open kind of. There's terror yeah. on his face. Like, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's really, it's really realistic for sure. There's a very graphic blood spurting from, from his neck as Judith is beheading him. Right. Right. Now this is where I'm going to reveal, uh, Caravaggio was a gangster mm. and a pimp. Yeah. Um, so Caravaggio throughout his life, Caravaggio just could not help himself getting into trouble with uh, whether it was uh, cops, whether it was other other painters, whether it was like gangsters. He he couldn't help himself getting into trouble and into fights um, mm-hmm. with uh, with people. In fact, that's how he got kicked out of Rome. Was that he uh, he was going to? It was with I think it was another painter that he was having a beef with. Um, mm-hmm. No, it was a it was another pimp because this was over a woman. Um, a prostitute that that Caravaggio was either in love with or wanted to have. Yeah. He wanted to 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 be her boss in that context. Um, yeah. Um, so he this was over. He was very angry about this guy. I think the guy like emasculated him in some way. He said something about his manhood. Um, and Caravaggio went in with the goal that I am going to I'm going to cut this guy's balls off. <laughs> which actually re- researching i found out that was a fairly common attempt by people in like street fights is that you try to like aim for the groin yeah yeah i mean you do a lot of damage you do it's humiliating the issue was that caravaggio hit his artery oh god so he bled out he bled to death so caravaggio Jesus. killed him uh yeah. and thus Carav- now there was a, a warrant out for him dead or alive mm-hmm and Caravaggio fled the fled Rome, and basically the rest of his life was spent like trying to convince the Pope to give him a papal pardon. Yeah. So that's like so when Caravaggio depicts violence in 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 his work, especially like with this, I think I think and this is I'm not giving the story scholarly source. I'm giving this for my interpretation of the painting. I think mm-hmm. that he's seen that kind of face before. Yeah. That yeah. like just no, it's terror. Yeah. Because it's so vivid, it's so vivid, it's so detailed. If you zoom in, you can see like the wrinkles in his in his uh, in his forehead as he's like as he's staring up at, at Judith. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a great painting. Also, this is uh, this goes to uh, and this is Caravaggio also got in trouble with bishops a lot mm-hmm. with uh, who would commission his paintings. Is that Josiah might know that especially like at this time, you use models for your for your paintings. Right, right. Now it was kind of a it was artists have always used sex workers because like it's not as expensive as if you're going to like uh if you're going to like someone who's specifically like going to be like an art model specifically right right now this also goes with the fact that Car- caravaggio was a pimp or tried to be a pimp um mm-hmm. because we were actually unaware of how successful he was yeah but uh he he tried to be a pimp um and so a lot of a lot of the biblical figures especially the women that you see they're based on they're either based they're based on like women that Caravaggio dated or the, the sex workers that he hired. Hmm. Um, and that was also, I think that this was the case with Judith. That was the case. And these women were, they were peasant women. And so a lot of, um, a lot of bishops at the time had a real problem with this because they like, they recognized these women because they were, you know, sex workers on Rome in Rome. They yeah. knew who they knew who they were. Um, Cause especially at this time, this is, I think this is during the counter reformation. 
Right, um, right. This is the Jesuits, or if we're if if we're going to be quite honest about the Catholic Church at the time, a lot of those bishops probably knew who these sex workers were because they hired them in the past. <laughs> I'm not. I, I know that's somewhat spicy. However, if you're looking historically, a lot of bishops had kids. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I, this yeah. might get me canceled on Catholic Twitter. However, oh yeah. Yeah. However, uh, that's like well, I mean, there's there's a reason they needed a counter reformation. Yes, there's a reason they were. Yeah, (laughs) there was a reason they were trying to. They were actively trying to take you know steps to try to you know like try to fix the issues that that were cropping up uh, that had caused the Protestant Reformation. Right. Um, Right. But that that was the case with uh with with Caravaggio, um, and I think the a particular painting that got him in deep trouble was when he depicted the the Virgin Mary, and the model that he used was a well known sex worker in Rome. Um, oh wow! And that got him into I, that was got him expelled, I believe, because of the mm-hmm. of the nature that you couldn't just do that. Like that was you were depicting the Virgin, even like some of the most mm-hmm. like corrupt uh, officials in Rome would be aghast that you would do that. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think that this comes from, I think Caravaggio was sort of like, he was a Catholic. I think he did believe, but I think that he was trying to do something with his work was that he was trying to, he didn't, he wasn't paying the historical, paying attention to historical accuracy, clearly, as, as you can see, because uh, none right. of these people would be wearing what they're wearing in these paintings. Right, right. This looks like it occurred in 1600. Yeah. yeah, this this looks like it occurred when Caravaggio was alive, not um, you know, in in uh, in you know late antiquity um, in the Levant. Um, right. But it's because of that that uh, that Caravaggio, I think you could say he kind of was more he was more like interested in depicting human emotion and human action in situations like this, which is why like when there's a deeply personalistic touch to all of his figures. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that that's kind of uh, roughly my spiel on that. There's a yeah. there's so much more I could go into Caravaggio. No, like that time that that he got kicked out by the Maltese Knights, um, mm-hmm. or or that that time that he uh, he also tried to kill a guy, or that time that uh, he got horribly <laughs> <laughs> that time he got horribly scarred outside of a of a brothel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or well, that time that he 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 threw a plate of artichokes at a waiter and called him a cuck. <laughs> <laughs> well. Here, let's I to find a way to tie this into where we're like some other stuff we're gonna get into. I think the theme that that this kind of brings up is um kind of kind of the the choice to um well the political side to religious art you know that like the choice of using uh you know sex workers to you know what what you have the model of a sex worker beheading um a patriarch you have you know the Virgin Mary depicted. Um, as a sex worker, you know, not not explicitly, but you know, kind of implicitly, and and I guess that's that's kind of the interesting theme of like painting and art is it's it's deeply caught up in the politics and the religious politics of the time. Mr. Painter, I do my crappy art, but I see what's in your eyes and I know what's in your heart. I have to go now; the cops are on the way, and I haven't got a license, but I've got a lot to say. All right, uh, Yes, go ahead. So, uh, I'll go. Let me go to the So, Goya is probably one of the most important, I think, the most important artists, like, well, not the most important, but one of the most important artists 
uh, of the modern period. In mm-hmm. fact, he I think uh, you could very easily call him um, the first, the last of the of sort of like the old artists and the first of the new. He employed mm-hmm. techniques and depictions and styles that that have aspects of both of well, mm-hmm. aspects of, of of he. You wouldn't call him an impressionistic artist. Um, uh, he was a ro- like it was romanticism, but romanticism would feed into impressionism. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, looking at his work, even it's it's got like a fuzziness in a sense. Like it's it's both it, it it's moving away from the realism. It's still realistic looking, but there's kind of um uh yeah, there's kind of an expressive nature to it. It looks like. So, all right. So, Goya was born in Aragon, in uh, Aragon, Spain, um, in Mar- March thirtieth, seventeen forty-six. Um, mm-hmm. His family was again. You probably call them uh, like uh, his his mother had like pretentiousness. Uh, his mother's family had pretentiousness to nobility, mm-hmm. but they weren't like an official noble family. Um, they they had their own crest. Like basically, I like if we're gonna put it to Marxist terms, you might call them petit bourgeois. Yeah. Uh, so out of, because of that, despite, like, he was, you could probably call him, like, upper middle class if we're, if we're going into that kind of language. And because Mm. of that, um, he was able to, uh, to, and because of the pretentiousness to nobility, he was able to, you know, get a, uh, an education at that time. Goya was probably an example that, despite coming from a family that was sort of, like, had these desires of being sort of more upper crust of being more part of the aristocracy. Mm-hmm. Goy himself was, uh, it was remarked that he was very down to earth. He wasn't interested in like uh, theology. He wasn't interested in philosophy. His mm-hmm. views on painting were very practical. Yeah. Um, but he was very interested in politics. Interesting. Um, and particularly uh, the, the politics of the enlightenment. Okay. Uh, you know, the uh, um, like reformism, you know, uh, enlightened absolutism in some aspects. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like republicanism. Liberalism. Yeah. Li- li- yeah. They, like everything that came out of the enlightenment, Goya was down for. He loved it. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was also because of his. Uh, now, he. To go with the biography, uh, he went to study under um, the painter uh, Jose Luzon, um, who was another Spanish. He was a Spanish Baroque painter when he was 14. And I guess I should also. Um, uh, give a brief aside that uh, this was a very common be- piece of uh, for most artists is that they did go to most artists were impre- apprenticed to other artists. Mm-hmm. Basically, how it would work is that you would uh, I-, I know for Car- for Caravaggio it worked that uh, he lived in the studio with his uh, with his uh, with his his master. You you would say um, as master like he basically like it's kind of like paying tuition. Um, his like. He would feed. He would feed you. He would. Um. He would like. Basically, it was a home away from home. Um. Mm-hmm. While he was teaching you how to be an artist, while you're helping out with sort of like the practicalities of the studio. Yeah. Um. So that's Goya studied. Um. With uh, Jose uh, Luzon. Um. Where he copied stamps. He did that for four years. Um. Until he like he wanted to go work on his own. Um. Mm-hmm. He he was he was chomping at the bit to like do his own paintings um and so he did studies of famous painters um particularly of of uh painters of spanish royalty that's a job that he wanted to land to be a court mm-hmm. artist that was a very lucrative position because that was uh you would make quite a bit of money from that um to be the in-house um court painter um mm-hmm. basically goya wanted to go study in italy um because rome was like the culture capital of europe um, right 
and Spain didn't really have any coherent artistic direction, and Goya wanted to be classically trained. Mm-hmm. He, he Goya did not get a scholarship, so he had to basically pay his own way to get to to get to Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an unknown, um, and because of that, he basically had to wait. Once he, I think a lot of college students can serve relate to this is that once he got there, it was like, well, okay, I guess I got to find a way to make a living here while I'm doing my my studies. <laughs> Um, so he was unknown. There were there. We know that there probably was a lot of commissions for him, especially that his uh, uh, he wasn't you know getting a lot of uh, his work wasn't recognizable. He was still sort of growing as an artist, so he wasn't really getting a lot of commissions. So he mm-hmm. would travel with uh, uh in there's biographers would uh, have him traveling to Rome with a gang of bullfighters. He worked as a street acrobat, um, uh, or he would just, like do work for Russian diplomats. There's also an author biographer noted that he uh, that he fell in love with a nun and he tried to plot um, he plotted to uh, abduct her from her convent. Um, oh my god! <laughs> uh, we, I, we don't know the historicity of any of these things, but that's what's said is what happened. These are the these are the rumors. Yeah, all of this could be true. He really could have traveled with uh, with a gang of Spanish bullfighters in Rome did work for, for uh, the diplomat for the Russian Empire at the time and really thought about kidnapping a nun so that she would marry, he, uh, she would marry him. We don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, that we, we know that uh, uh, Goya was painting at this time. He, depicted, he did two paintings, mythological paintings of, uh, of Pan. I believe Pan is a, is a Hellenistic god, I believe. Yeah, yeah. He won prizes for, for his painting. Uh, basically, uh, to sum it up, he uh, made friends. Um, he married. Um, he had a kid. He uh, sort of became more well-known as an artist. He went back to Spain. And then his career as a court painter would begin. To pit like mm-hmm. a painting the Spanish royalty. And if you know anything about the Spanish royalty at this time, they're a bunch of fucking idiots. Um, <laughs> it is suspected that Goya like was putting subtle jabs about the royals in his paintings. Mm-hmm. Both because he might have personally not cared for them, and also because of his uh, his enlightenment politics. That's probably not true. Because if you did that, that's an easy way to get executed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let me. Uh, so I will. I will send this to you. Oh, okay. So something um, that you'll notice uh, with uh, this painting is the brush strokes. They're very soft uh, um, mm. and very. There's and. The brushstrokes are very soft, and he uses, and this is throughout his entire career. Goya uses a lot of warm colors uh, in his yeah, paintings yeah. that gives it a bit like a, a familiarity to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, part of, uh, if I remember correctly, in this painting, um, there's been interpretations that. Uh, okay, actually, I, I'll 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 just read off this thing on Wikipedia that says it better than I can. Uh, <laughs> the French writer uh, uh, Theophile Gautier called it a picture of the corner grocer who has just won the lottery. As sometimes been suggested that Goya was in some way satirizing his subjects. Uh, the idea has been dismissed by the art critic Robert Hughes. This is nonsense. You didn't manage to keep your job as an official court portrait uh, portraitist if you were satirizing the people who you were painting. No, this is not a send up. If anything, this is a fact. This is an act of flattery for instance on the left the blue suit uh in the blue suit is one of the most odious little toads in the entire history of spanish politics the future king ferdinand whom goya uh actually manages to look quite uh, make quite regal god knows how he did it but he has this is a very much an aspect of respect <laughs> almost verging on the act of flattery so 
I, 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 I tend to, uh, I tend to agree with, uh, with, uh, with Robert Hughes here that yeah. this Goya would not the, look, you can put like, there are pieces that are satirizing, um, uh, royals and politicians throughout history. We, we know they exist cause they've survived. However, you would not keep your job as a Spanish, uh, as a, I mean, just, but you would not keep your job as a, as a court artist. If you try to satirize your, your subjects. No, no. Go, so these are the, these were the paintings that, that paid the bills. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Goyal was also, in addition to being a painter, he was a, he was a printmaker. And to me, his, uh, his, his prints, and this will allow the piece I'll show you kind of shows another aspect of Goya's art is sort of a fascination with the macabre. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is uh, um, called the garroted, uh, the, uh, the garroted man. Mm-hmm. And uh, something that we see, this is a print, um, mm. so you see that the, uh, the line work here is very light. Um, it's, um, it's very light and it kind of gives it this dream kind of quality to it. Yeah. And it's depicting a man, uh, clutching a crucifix as he's being garroted. Basically like he's, he sat down on a, on a pole and he's being garroted by the neck while there's a candle lit by him. Um, yeah. and this is kind of a trend that Goya will have is this kind of, uh, interest in, this sort of back and forth interest in the uh, the macabre and the and sort of like what paid the bills. And you always see mm. this with, with someone like this is kind of what in modern terms you would call personal art and uh, and and uh, you know art for work. However, I do believe that the garroted man might have been for might have been uh, paid. I'm not sure mm. about that one. Yeah, so you can see like this etching is it's it's very uh, you know bleak, and you'll see this come yeah. in later once the Peninsular War start. Um, Mm. The Peninsula Wars were uh, Napoleon, mm. and this sort of ties into Goya goes through a depressive episode because uh, obviously the French Revolution happens. Um, yeah, and basically Goya basically gets dejected from politics because he sees basically he sees like the politics that he was in love with the the Enlightenment politics in his view basically caused a whirlwind of violence. Um, a whirlwind yeah. of violence and chaos that spread to his home and caused like unimaginable death and pain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so for him, like he, he became completely dejected by, by them. Um, they, they caused him to go to a horrible depressive episode that uh, he really did get out of. Um, yeah. And the peninsular wars, particularly um, something, and this is an example of his, uh, his, his modern, the sort of modern esque aspects of his art was that, you mm. see that um, throughout the Peninsular Wars, which these are two famous paintings that Goya did. Um, yeah. The 3rd of May, 1808, and the 2nd of May, 1808. Um, mm. And they both depict... So the, third of, the 2nd of May, 1808, um, depicts a victory by the Spanish against the French. Um, yeah. Uh, so, just sent that to you. Mm-hmm. So you see that there's there's a kind of victory here. There's a this is a kind of classical depiction of war and painting. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, there's a kind of um, this is clearly being depicted as a good thing. Yeah, yeah. A kind of glory is there, even though there's like there's some gore, there's some, but it's not. It's yeah, not really but it's, being it's depicted. a triumph. Yeah. I'm. Uh, let me see if I can get a better because I really wanna I really wanna sh- this to the detail for the second of May to show. The third of May, sorry. Oh, that's yes. I've seen this painting before. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta remember to be saying out loud what I'm seeing for since this is an yes. Audio so I want yeah, to so describe what you're uh, seeing before I go into it. Yeah, so it's it's a firing squad. It looks like um, can't really tell what kind of troops they are, but very very 19th century looking troops pointing guns 
at there's a pile of corpses and blood and then there's a, a man with his hands in the air and he, he kind of looks like he's pleading not to be shot um, and if you notice he's bigger not a than everyone else yeah this is not a romanticized uh violence in the same way as uh the kind of battle painting we were talking about earlier does has this will go into uh part of this goes into obviously the the napoleonic wars um mm-hmm. which is when... an awesome tie into haiti by the way um yes this all this is all no, so in, all in, in an, an elaborate way we're through. what we're doing is you know what i we've i've found our topic as we're halfway through uh we're, we're doing a, a history of of modernity and its related relation to like racism and stuff later through art that's what we're doing right now yes okay <laughs> you've all tied you've you've you've, yes. you've tied it down with a bow we did it <laughs> okay all right yeah so so go ahead what, what was going on with this painting here so um, to give a background, uh, this is Napoleon I of France um, yeah. uh, declared himself first consul of the French Republic, um, mm. and then he crowned himself emperor in 1804, and then Europe burned. <laughs> Napoleon Napoleon is probably one of the most important figures in history, and he was an asshole. Um, mm-hmm. He's terrible. But but you can't deny that like there's great man history is 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 bull it's not real but if it was ever real it was about someone like napoleon yeah well yeah and and maybe maybe there's a there's an element of great man history that's true but should be seen in kind of a dark light um that it you know like the great men of history aren't like good by any means i think of um crime and punishment uh, kind of plays with the whole great man of history thing where um, the protagonist, I'm blanking on his name, he kind of identifies as a great man of history and that's his justification for murdering someone. Um, right. He's like, I'm I'm the next Napoleon, you know? Because like, think about the great man of history, uh, mm-hmm. Caesar, Alexander, yeah. uh, Genghis Khan, Napoleon. Yeah. All of these people objectively are bad people. Yeah. These are bad human beings that have, that, uh, have done personally awful things to people and are have committed atrocities but they permanently changed the face of the world napoleon did change politics like modern politics modern culture would not be the same if napoleon was it did it exist yeah but so he crowns himself emperor in 1804 and this is important to note he was not crowned emperor he crowned himself emperor yes yes keep that in the back of your head when talking about napoleon so that he he was typically a priest would crown you a priest some religious official napoleon crowned himself emperor and that's mm-hmm. that, that shows a lot about how napoleon viewed himself right right so because spain controlled access to like the mediterranean the country was strategically imported for spain charles iv was a reigning monarch at the time uh he was regarded as like a halfwit who really only cared much of, like he only really cared about hunting he didn't really give uh, a shit about like politics about yeah. running his country um it was also there were rumors that are probably true that he was like a cuckold uh to his wife <laughs> this comes up look cuckold comes up a lot in history especially european it history really does yeah too much it's it's a thing <laughs> i think that's also going to be a commonality at least between caravaggio and and goya at least oh, especially yeah. is that uh the the how masculinity is perceived um mm-hmm by uh is how you perceive it how it's perceived and you don't want it violated charles did not care charles just cared about hunting and hanging out with his friends right um, right. 
and he was uh he was regarded that like he was a he was like a weak cuck who was not able to control his uh his wife who was really running the country that's how it was perceived in spain um, right, at the right. time obviously i don't agree with that language at all but that's how that's how everyone is seeing it yeah um napoleon took advantage that the king the king was such a weak shit um uh by suggesting that the two nations should go and conquer portugal France, mm-hmm. um, they basically would both take pieces of Portugal. Um, and so Charles, being an idiot, believed him. Mm-hmm. This would go on to cause tra- Charles a lot of trouble. So they would invade uh, Portugal. Th- third of the Spanish Prime Minister, Manuel de Godet, uh, along with the title Prince of the uh, Algrave. Uh, Godet was seduced and, and accepted the French offer. He failed, however, to grasp Napoleon's true intentions and was unaware that his new ally and co-sovereign, the former king's son, Ferdinand of Spain, was using the invasion merely as a ploy to seize the, the Spanish parliament and throne. Ferdinand yeah. intended not only uh, that uh, Godoy be killed during the impending power struggle, but also the lives of his own parents would be sacrificed. Under yeah. the guise of reinforcing the Spanish armies, 23,000 French troops entered Spain unopposed in November 1807. Even when Napoleon's intentions became clear the following February, the occupying forces found little resistance apart from isolated actions in disconnected are- areas, including Saragossa. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Napoleon's principal commander, Marshal uh, Joachim Murat, uh, or Joaquim, Joaquim Marat, believed that Spain would benefit from rulers more progressive and, and uh, competent than the Bourbons. Mm-hmm. And that obviously would mean that uh, that Napoleon was going to put his brother in power. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Napoleon convinced Ferdinand to return Spanish rule to Charles, the latter was left with no choice but to abdicate um, in favor of Napoleon's brother, uh, Joseph Bonaparte. Mm-hmm. Although the Spanish people had accepted foreign monarchs in the past, they deeply resented the new French ruler. A French agent in Madrid reported, Spain is different. The Spaniards have a noble and generous character, but mm-hmm. they have a tendency to ferocity and cannot bear to be treated as a conquered nation, reduced to despair. They would be prepared to unleash the most terrible and courageous rebellion and the most vicious excesses. So that is the, the first painting that you saw, the 2nd of May, is a depiction of the... Uh, a, basically of a of a of a uprising the Des, uh the dos de mayo uprising mm. uh a proclamation issued that day to his people by marshal uh, marat read the population of madrid led astray has has given itself to revolt and murder french blood has flowed it demands vengeance all those arrested in the uprising arms in hand will be shot mm. so that is that so that's the first painting that you saw that yeah. is depicting the uprising. The second painting that you see, the third of May, depicts the aftermath, the French response. Yeah. So, so you have the triumphant uprising and then the the brutal defeat. Something interesting about the about this is that this is not you don't this is not a common picture of war this time. You don't see the you don't see like the the ugly reality of 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 like a victorious uprising is that yeah no they failed and now there's a there's a of a there's uh government soldiers that are about to you know kill everyone there with mm-hmm. a firing squad i think it's like you see men and women basically cowering because they know that they can't plead their way out of being killed um yeah yeah no it's it's heartbreaking yeah yeah there's this is a like a desperately you can sort of feel the emotion in this piece of hopelessness mm-hmm. and, and and fear 
And something yeah. interesting about the figure here um, is that uh, this unheroic depiction, the figure, that central figure, he's he's noticeably bigger than the others. Um, he's on his knees, you can see, but if he was standing upright, he would be taller than the people he's next to and the soldiers. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yet at the same time as being lowly and like be- begging for his life or begging for the others' lives. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this is a detail that you might not be able to see, but on his hands, there's the stigmata. Oh wow! Which uh, is obviously the um, the the wounds that that Christ um, suffered while being crucified. But it's an iconographical tool oh, for okay. modern. Okay. Oh man, this is good. This is good. Yeah, yeah. Because one thing that's interesting is, like you were saying, there isn't really a a, a place for like warfare being tragic in in like the European mind it seems like and the only real resource to pull the concept of a tragic death is generally christ um, yes and the martyrs yeah, and, even the martyrs is well and the martyrs more, yeah. even the martyr like martyr if you look at like depictions of, of the martyrs of saints being martyred obviously there's something holy about it there's there's, there's yeah, a yeah. peaceful acceptance that they see um, that you see with it, like even it's like a like um, Caravaggio depicted uh, Saint Peter, um, uh, Peter being being crucified, but even then there was somewhat like there was a there was kind of a dignity there. There yeah. is no dignity here. There is no, no no sense of 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 sort of like acceptance of your fate. You there's this is an acceptance of your fate. This is you desperately pleading, even though you know that yeah. that it's uh, that that you're going to be killed. You are desperately pleading for for your life and how this figure is depicted others lives yeah do you know what uh what uprising napoleon didn't crush though (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah so yeah this is this is fascinating because as we've been talking about all this painting, and this is a thing that's a problem with how we talk about history, I think, as a whole, um, is while all this is happening, the most the most brutal colonization uh, of the New World was taking place. Um, like like when we were talking about uh, Caravaggio, you know, at, at that time, you know, uh, at Hispaniola the, the is is being subjugated and and um, black slaves are being brought over from from West Africa, you know. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of a troubling reality that I, I think we look at like it with you know kind of a romantic eyes to what's going on in like 1600s or whatever. Um, yes, you know, it is a it is ahistorical to view the 16 the, the 1600s as anything other than an incredibly bloody turbulent time. Yes, um, and and it only gets worse with kind of what you're yes. saying about Goya bringing. You know, Goya being terrified at how liberalism was bringing this violence. Um, right. And I, as far as we know, Goya did not become like a reactionary absolute monarchist. No, no. But it, it would be a troubling time. Like, so, so yeah. So, okay. So on the island of Hispaniola at this time in the Caribbean, as you may know it as Haiti now, the French colony called Saint-Domingue is uh, broken into an uprising. Uh, there is a lot of disagreement on exactly how this happened. There's usually a talk of a voodoo ceremony called the the Bois-Kemen. I might be mispronouncing that. Although, uh, you know, we we don't know to what extent that's exaggerated. But essentially, right. one... <laughs> a lot of the early... 
the early parts of, of the Haitian revolution is shrouded and we don't know. And especially when you're talking about uh, voodoo, it's, there's a yeah. lot of like colonialism that goes around, like talking about voodoo, even yeah. I'm just co- colonialism. I'll say that um, I'm of Caribbean descent and there's a lot of, uh, there's definitely, um, so like my dad's talking about that, like voodooistic practices, even among other Caribbean peoples is looked down upon. Yeah. Voodoo's complicated and you know, uh, it's we'll, very complicated. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit because I've we'll been into reading yes, a yeah, lot on. about voodoo. Yeah, um, uh, describe, set us up, set, set yeah, up the. Well, uh, so, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's hard. Goya is is seeing his his home country being uh, just completely yeah completely destroyed. Hop For, over to the Caribbean on the other yeah, side of the world, and there's and there's no we don't know exactly what triggered it. It's just on one day in 1791. Uh, a slave colony, Saint Domingue. All the slaves decided to brutally murder their masters and set the plantations on fire. <laughs> and yes, they just did. Swept the entire island. It is the maybe the most important historical event in modern history, and it doesn't get talked about enough. This is the the white colonist worst. Yes, it is. Um, like it, this shaped American foreign policy, you know, at the time they were watching this as a fresh new slave, you know, country watching like what happens and, and, you know, not pin, you know, not to blame what happened on poor management from the colonists, but there's an element of this was bound to happen. Uh, I, I wonder if I could find the, the ratio of slave to white. I do know on, that, uh, that it was in, like, it was the, the percentage, it was, drastic so i found the uh found the ratio this is from um faces of the gods great book on voodoo and you know haitian history uh but yeah at the time of like oh what this is like the 19 or the 1780 census so this is 11 years before the revolution um there were 40,000 french europeans um on in haiti there were uh 28,000 of like the, the the mixed race and 452,000 slaves. So that is <laughs> 10 times. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So, yeah. So uh, actually, one of the, f- the first history to ever be written about um, Haiti, the Haitian Revolution, uh, was was not uh, who, who we generally think CLR James, who's, you know, the Marxist who, who wrote the classic that, you know, you sh- everyone should read the Black Jacobins. Everyone, um, yeah. But the... But the book before that was actually done by a white supremacist. Um, of course, and the reason, he, <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. reason he's writing about this is because this was his worst nightmare, and that's why he was studying it. And his takeaway was that like slavery is the most inefficient form of white supremacy because this happens. <laughs> 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 It'd be a Lothrop Stoddard. Uh, he is a contemptible member of the KKK, and. Uh, I, I hate that I had to read sections of his book for uh, my research, but alas, I mean I that's that pretty I funny. That's that's pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> Guys, slavery was bad. It is is you would think? Oh yeah, that's a good take. That's that's that's, good... that's fine. But then you find out, oh, it's bad because that's not it's not a sure way to enforce white supremacy. There, there's when you get into like historiography, like there. <laughs> Yeah, when you, when you're reading like histories written in the early 1900s, um, and they're just unapologetically racist. Like when you read texts now that are kind of racist, they're usually sneaky about it. But yeah. man, with those they're like, very no, they're very blunt about they're it. Very honest about their. I was uh, 
I, I was reading a, an excerpt from this old book that was about uh, black mammies from a Southern writer. <laughs> oh, God. And, oh, God. and uh, the, <laughs> I don't think, how, how, how comfortable are you with me using a certain variation of the N-word here? Um, I, I am fine with slurs on the podcast as long as the person saying them has the right to say them. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Yeah. I, 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 I can cover both Spanish and black slurs. Then. So he... <laughs> So uh, to, to the quote basically amounts to, to this white southern this this white southern guy saying saying I'm looking for a nigger but a particular kind of nigger. Oh my god! <laughs> he's looking for a house slave. Um, right. He's looking for a good a good domestic slave. That's that's totally what it's like when you read those old histories, man. They're they're really bad. I kind of like how honest they are, though. Briefly, I, that, I, 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 I like sense. how honest it's a bit better. That's also true because Haiti, without again getting into, I could talk about Haiti forever, but without getting too much into it, like there, there's a lot of racial stereotypes that have still uh, marred the the scholarship on the topic. Yes. Uh, Trio is like the biggest historian on this stuff. The stuff I, he's the guy I look to oftentimes. Um, you know, his whole thing is that like, it was the unthinkable event. And to this day, we're still looking for explanations for why it happened rather right. than just, um, you know, black people didn't like being enslaved. <laughs> like that's the right. reason it happened. I can't, I you can't know? wait to, to tie this back to what I'm going to tie it to, but, uh, uh yes. yes, the, that, that's, um, that it is inconceivable that, you know, that it's yeah. the black people desire their own liberation. Yeah. It's, it's the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, Trujillo's famous, famous, like framing is it's, it's, it's a non-event. Uh, Haiti was like this is this like gap in our record it, because of it being such a gap in our historical record is proof it's so in, important. That's yeah. kind of like his case, because, you know, when I when I was doing historiographical reviews on it, I was looking through uh, Western Civ textbooks and it wasn't until the 80s that they started including mention of ha the Haitian Revolution, despite, as I'm saying, this is one of the only people that like defeated Napoleon's army. Like this was a huge deal when it happened. This, it is... Yeah, this is no. And just to let everyone know, the Spanish couldn't do it. The English did, couldn't do it. The Germans couldn't do it. The Russian, no, like the origins of the Russians won was because of the winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it's an, a world historic moment. And so, yeah, the, the fast version of this um, is that uh, over the next century or so, uh, Haiti kind of is kind of struggling to unite itself because after the revolution, it breaks into some factions. Uh, the racial politics don't go away. Um, you know, as, as we mentioned, there's there's the the pure like pure blacks versus mixed and they they are fighting it out. Right. Um, and we should mention I'll just mention that there was that the that mixed people in Haiti often would get they were better treated they were free they would own slaves mm -hmm. yep. um and they enjoyed certain they enjoyed economic freedoms that slaves even free black men the free black people were not allowed to have because like there was kind of a there was a kind of feeling among like um, their white parents that well I should probably give them something um, mm -hmm. And so that's why there was there was this animosity between mixed and black in in Haiti because of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's there's a lot of weird connections, by the way, to um, ha Haiti is like this event that doesn't get talked about, but it's just got all these weird connections. Like um, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the French Revolution. Obviously, um, you know, I didn't really get into this, but the French Revolution, in a sense, triggered the whole thing. 
Uh, yes, because, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's all this talk coming in of, you know, at, you know, this French colony is hearing all this news about, you know, equality, fraternity, whatever. And they're like, well, what about, like, what about us? <laughs> yeah. What about us? Are we, um, are we counted in that? But, uh, you know, uh, Bruv's favorite, uh, Jansenist, uh, Abby Guigar, uh, lived in Haiti for a while. That never gets talked about. John Brown visited Haiti at one point. Like ha- Haiti is a they- big deal. <laughs> Haiti's a very big deal. Um, uh-huh. All right, so I, I want last, I guess, somewhat last bit about about Goya is mm-hmm. uh, to tie yeah. it back to with Haiti is the warfare in Haiti was brutal. The uh, oh yeah, no getting around that. It was a it was brutal warfare. Um, even if you want to like, even if, like, obviously, I, it's not far fetched to say that both Josiah and I view the Haitian Revolution positively. Mm-hmm. That uh, it that this ultimately the Haitian Revolution was a good thing. Um, yes. Absolutely. Broadly, yes. Yeah, like the, this no, is absolutely. a good like this. Ha- I would view that the Haitian Revolution was a necessary thing to happen, mm-hmm. considering how they they set up that the, the colony. There's only so much that you could put, and the 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 arduous pain and 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 torture that you know slaves would un- would were would have to like undergo. This was bound to happen eventually, and it's good that it happened. However, the warfare, the actual warfare in Haiti was brutal. It was. Uh, it was guerrilla fighting. Yeah, yeah. Something interesting um, uh, to tie it back to uh, uh, to Goya. And I'm trying to find. So most uh, how warfare is depicted was that that painting that uh, that I, I showed um, Josiah the second of May. However, Goya um, he had a brother who was a monk that was going around Spain, and Goya was actually going around Spain too. Um, and they were seeing basically the uh, the it is. Goya created um, Goya created several etchings, sketches, um, plates of of what he and his brother had was seeing throughout Sp- throughout Spain during the the the, Pel- uh, the Peninsula Wars, mm-hmm. and the depictions of of it is uh, horrifying. It's grotesque. It's I uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll show um, Josiah. There's there was one that uh, particularly to me always just sort of is. It's ghastly. It's 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 horrifying. It's it's upsetting to look at. It's um, mm-hmm. is uh, this uh, it's a part of this series that Goya did called Disasters of War. And this particular painting, I'll DM this one because I don't think I want to put this in uh in the chat. Um, yeah, this is called This Is Worse. Oh wow, yeah, that's that's heavy. It's uh, so Josiah, would you like to describe what you're seeing? <laughs> oh, there's a corpse it looks like it's kind of in a tree um i i think it's supposed to be um that there is a sharp tree branch shoved up uh the corpse's ass and is coming out the bat like the top of the neck uh and his arms are cut off should we put a trigger warning somewhere oh i'll throw a i'll throw a content warning in the description yeah the this is um yeah this uh so bit of a detail here uh this this particular etching um this is worse it is we're not we're unsure if it, if this is exactly what was seen because it also is calling back to um to a particular uh the 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 belvedere torso which influenced how goya posed the the mutilated corpse but uh mm-hmm. so this is uh the image is based on a scene which occurred in uh, uh chicharon in december 1808 uh, at the time when Goya's brother was living there as a parish priest. Uh, 
Two French soldiers uh, were killed by Spanish rebels. The French retaliated by massacring uh, local men. Uh, Goya yeah. shows that the it's a mutilated body of a rebel. Now he, that says a rebel, but this those local men probably they let's be honest, the French weren't particularly discriminating who they were killing. They were just yeah. killing whatever local men were near, rebel or not. Just so, a theme generally with with guerrilla style warfare, local warfare like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that you could probably tie that to Haiti. Is that I'm gonna I'm gonna to... tie that to the U.S. occupation? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is this all like this this actually went this disaster of war series probably could help tie back to both the warfare during the Haitian Revolution and the U.S. occupation of Haiti. Yes. Um, yeah. So they massacred local men, and Goya shows a rebel that's impaled on the branches of a tree at two points through his uh, through his anus mm. and then through the shoulder blade. Um, you can see at the top right there if you look that there's a tip the tip of the of of that tree branch is piercing right by outside of the shoulder the shoulder blade yeah uh the victim's head is turned towards the viewer in a motif that echoes other disaster series his other the other pieces of the disaster series often show the faces of people um in in that war in warfare in mm. um in pain um in the rows of death in terror yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's a motif that shows that, that it's sort of like his main thing, um, that you're forced to look at the horror that's happening. Yeah. Um, there's like, you can't, no, no matter where you look on the figure, there's no way that you can't see the reality of what's happening. Yeah. Um, his right arm has been chopped off at the elbow. Um, in the background, you can see that there are French soldiers, which are continuing to kill people while this man is, uh, you know, while the, the corpse is sort of like lying on the tree. Mm. Um, uh, there's also there's scholarly. Uh, this is why the content warning is important. There's scholarly undertone. There's scholarly consensus that there are that there are sexual undertones to this. That the victim yeah. was raped before he was killed. Yeah. Uh, the figuration. So the figure is based on that uh, that Hellenistic fragment of a male nude. And so so something interesting that Goya has done here is that he's taken a sort of classic Hellenistic piece and he's turned mm. it on its head, depicting basically the the nightmare of war of what yeah. happens to us at like for as far as we know that this was a civilian that was just um that was taken in the throes of of, of death mm -hmm. um in the throes of of sort of like revenge against uh against you know rebels that the occupation just blindly murdered these people and you also see that there's uh this this other one here i'm gonna show josiah it's there's no painting there's no etching in the disaster series that's not graphic um, yeah, no, they're they're pretty horrifying. Um, this one has a has a bit of a uh, an irony to it called a heroic feat with dead men. <laughs> oh my god! So you see, like the the Zester series is a, is you can probably call it a this is both a combination of of journalism, I think, of depicting the reality of what is happening at yeah. that time, and also satire um, with some of them of how Europeans viewed um viewed uh, how european art viewed war versus the reality yeah. of it and obviously to goya he there was no after that goya in no way could like glorify war after like the, he can't like every yeah. um everything in this uh through this series is depicting like just horrifying like depicting of what happens when occupying army um occupies a, a country uh, yeah. show, uh josiah another one this is of a uh this is similar to that garroted one that i uh, i showed him earlier mm. um of uh this is a garroted priest uh grasp a crucifix in his hand uh with the chest basically uh he's 
Pinned to his chest is a description of the crime for which he was killed. Possession of a knife. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then I'll end it with this one, which shows, I believe that this is supposed to be, this is a rebel rebel chopping off a, uh, a French, about to chop off a French soldier's head as he's mm-hmm. being held down by other rebels. So obviously Goya would have had his sympathies with the rebels, but even here, he's not depicting this act of violence by the rebels as heroic, right, Josiah? Like, what, what do you see? No, Actually, yeah. I, I should be speaking for you. I, what, how no, do you no, interpret yeah, that? Yeah, you're, you're, you're correct. It's, it's, um, I don't know. There's a, there's a sober, uh, realism, I think to this stuff where it's, it's not, you know, it's not portraying violence as inherently romantic by any means. Yeah. So, um, I guess, uh, uh, well, I'll leave that off with Goya um, yeah. and get back to, to Haiti. But I, I want to show the, I want to briefly touch on the Disaster of War series because I think that this mm-hmm. depiction of that violence of occupation is very yeah. important, especially when you're getting to to what Josiah is going to get into, which is the U.S. occupation of Haiti. Yes. Um, before before I, I head off that direction, I, I will. I, I have uh, Black Jacobins by C.L.R. James in front of me here, and I was thinking of this when you were talking about it, where um, he does not shy away from the graphicness and detail, despite him romanticizing it at the same time, which is a really fascinating decision on James's part. This is the the OG, you know, history of, of the Haitian Revolution. And he, he writes, I'm not going to read all the descriptions, but the quick thing is he goes, you know, from their masters, they had known rape, torture, degradation, at the, and at the slightest provocation, death, they returned in kind. Um, yeah. And then he goes on to say, and yet they were surprisingly moderate then and afterwards, far more humane than their masters had been or ever would have been. And my favorite CLR James thing is, is uh, this is like a second or third edition. He has a, uh, a little note there and he says, uh, this statement has been criticized. I stand by it, CLRJ. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, 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 I'll fully agree with that. I'll melt down your walls. I'll melt your steel guns. I'll make you dumb. <laughs> these were not innocent. These are not, and these people. This is what happened if, if a black slave got out of line. They would be whipped. They would be beaten. The work that they had to do was 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 sugar. They were these were sugarcane slaves. These were, yeah. they were they were like, if you want to cultivating sugarcane is not easy. It is pain. It is like it is a struggle. They were dealing with dull machetes. They were dealing with the the sugar and the sugar getting into their wounds. They were mm. dealing with the process of of of, of like of uh, of not pulping the sugar cane, but like getting into something that is that will actually be made into sugar. That process mm. would mutilate you. Like your hand, yeah. like your, it could. Many slaves were mutilated because of that. Mutilation was a was a punishment. Other mm. punishments would would be to would be genital mutilation, rape, um, this, like the separation of your children. This is the reality that slaves yeah. would go under, and many of these slaves, the like the the Caribbean ra- like slavery was so brutal that 
that they had to continually bring in new slaves from Africa because there were not enough slaves to reproduce. That was not necessarily the case with Haiti. Haiti did mm. have like generations of blacks who were there, but they were still bringing in new slaves because yeah. Haiti, because more slaves were dying because of that. Because they yeah. viewed it as disposable property. Yeah. And I mean, actually, one of the, the lead causes of the Haitian Revolution is the fact that over, uh, I believe it was over the 18th century, you know, the century leading up to it, there was actually an explosion of sugar and like the of the sugar demand. And so they they doubled and tripled the amount of slaves that were coming into Haiti. And we should uh, note that Haiti was like the capital of sugar at the time. Oh, it, it, this is, you know, it was, it was uh, the prized gem on the crown of, of France was how it was seen. So um so to make it quick, essentially there was uh they rose up, they defeated Napoleon eventually, who tried to come in and bring order. And slavery. He tried to bring slavery. And tried, back. tried to bring slavery back, and it did not work. <laughs> it um, did not work. Ho- however, the unfortunate side of this comes in after um so uh you know uh Toussaint Louverture uh is kind of the the great leader of this. Um there's things to criticize about him, but not to get into that. He dies. Um you have the revolutionary Dessaline. Uh, who's uh, who's you know went on to be more brutal than Louverture, um, but you know win the war. However, after he dies, Haiti splits into two for a while, and there's some factional uh, fight between uh, you know a, a mixed uh, mixed race uh, uh, state in the north. Uh, don't quote me on that. E- either the north or the south, and and a full black uh, state in the other region. There was fighting. Whatever finally gets reunified. The 19th century is one of the most bizarre parts of Haitian history that is, yeah, it's kind of hard to piece it together. It's, it's the trying to build a nation after this, this violent revolution. And right. yeah, which, which is hard. It's, it's always hard. <laughs> like revolutions right. take, a, take a toll on everyone involved. Um, and uh, even, even uh, like the American revolution, it did take time for like the country yeah. to like, oh, absolutely. any, every revolution will, Oh, there's going to be a period of growing pains because yeah, I I think despite the fact that like we may view revol- like we we view broadly, I think that especially in America, I think we broadly view like revolution as good. Mm-hmm. I think that you must uh, and of like of course that you know there's good revol like the Haitian Revolution was good, but you need to I think you need to keep in the reality that revolution is a traumatizing event. Yeah, yep. yep. And so if there's a period of growing pains of trying to get out of this like traumatic, uh, this traumatic period of time. Also, after the Haitian Revolution, the Catholic Church breaks ties with Haiti, um, kind of obviously, because a lot of their priests died. Uh, <laughs> so right. uh, there was a kind of a brief while of religious anarchy in a way um, where like the churches would still exist, but then it would just be like a dude would go into the church and be like, I'm the priest now. <laughs> <laughs> and this is kind of seen as modern day voodoo's like uh, beginning, um, right? Because, well, so like you know, voodoo voodoo's getting you know created throughout the colonial period. Um, it's said that Jesuit missionaries, um, when they were trying to convert slaves, um, would liken African gods to saints to try to make it you know easier to communicate, and that uh, just kind of stuck, um, right? And so, so voodoo is is a, a kind of a mix of West African religion and Catholicism. There's a whole lot of debate on exactly how that mix functions and to, whether it's more African or more Catholic. And right. I, I don't think really, it's it's no, I think both. Functionally, a lot of a lot of people who practice voodoo. That's another day for voodoo is voodoo. Um, mm, voodoo. Is, yeah. 
a lot of them would say that they're Catholic before they would say that they would like it. Yeah. And it, there are others that would say like, yeah, I, I like, uh, like, uh, like voodoo, like say like, yes, I practice voodoo. That's my religion. And then, you know, like they're going to have like crucifix. It's complicated. Yeah, no, it's, it's complicated. The, the old adage uh, about Haiti is that it's uh, 90% Catholic and a hundred percent voodoo or yes, uh, voodoo. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a complicated religious landscape. Um, but yeah, in 1860 is when the Catholic church kind of re, you know, recognizes Haiti and, and they, the Catholic church gets running there. Um, but at that point, you know, the, the syncretism was, is already set in. There's no way of getting it out now, man. Right. No, it's permanent. <laughs> you can't, you cannot get rid it's of that. You either, you, <laughs> you either got to leave again or you got to get with the program and get used to it. Yeah. And it's, it's super fascinating. However, to, uh, to speed up, speed the whole thing up, there's, um, you know, the, the late 19th century is, is filled with like a lot of bloodshed. Uh, Haiti goes through a lot of presidents and mo- most of them don't finish their term. Uh, someone kills them and takes over and near the climax of this in, uh, in 1915, um, I'm blanking on his name. Um, but the, the president who came to power, executed 200 uh, around 200 a little less than that uh political enemies and the families of those uh political enemies were, were not thrilled uh with with yeah with their relatives oh, no? being murdered. They were? no no so they uh they came in and ripped him apart and i'm not <laughs> i'm not exaggerating <laughs> when i say that they they were parading his limbs through the streets um anyway uh, so the U.S. steps in, and this is like one of the first kind of real acts of U.S. interventionism in like the way we think of it now. You know, this is well, this is. A- I think you could argue the Philippines. Yeah, you could argue that that's true. That's true. Um, but the the kind of uh, I'd say th- this is around the time that the U.S. is also establishing a lot of banana republics in in South America. This is good point. Yeah. This is yeah. like the American imperialism. And Haiti is is Vietnam before Vietnam, actually. It, it doesn't get taught that way, but it really is. Um, and so so anyway, Haiti, you know, the U.S. arrives. They they want to supposedly bring order. Um, instead, they bring, you know, chaos and death, you know, and, and also build some schools. So good on them for that, I guess. But uh, on the whole, it's... it's that nice. sounds like a mission accomplished from here. <laughs> they nailed it, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. So, so they arrived now. Fun fact about that is they arrived like the next day after the assassination, which if you know anything about like boats and, uh, you know, mobilizing a military that kind of suggests that's, uh, it's impossible that they did have, have <laughs> stationed there for to come there before him, before the yeah, They may have been thinking about this, waiting for an excuse. And because the, the real reason that it was being occupied is they did not want, uh, Germany to get Haiti and like get a foothold as they were, you know, starting to consider whether, uh, you know, the war, they were going to be joining world war one at the time. Um, that's, that was the strategic logic behind it. Uh, yeah. but needless to say the U S occupation has a major impact on Haiti and the U S we don't teach it the way it used to be taught, but in the press at the time, it was known as the rape of Haiti, which was, I, I think yeah. you, is more accurate than the than uh, occupation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so this, okay, all, all this to say, to get to the actual thing I'm, I'm here, I'm going to like talk about with art. Uh, there's a, there's a guy by the name of Charlemagne Perrault, who is, uh, kind of considered a hero in Haiti to this day. Um, Perrault is, uh, I think the book I was reading, uh, recently, uh, says he's like the second most well-known, uh, Haitian revolutionary, 
um, behind Dessaline. It's like Dessaline and then Peralt, uh, which is kind of interesting because Peralt, you know, the U.S. occupation happens in 1915 and he dies four years later. Like he didn't even he wasn't even there that much time, you know. Right. He was he was leading, uh, you know, rebel forces against the English, the American occupation. And keep in mind, America's coming in and doing this forced labor project. So it's like it's like slavery's returning in the mind of, of, of Haitians. Yeah. And, and it, it essentially is. It's just a more capitalist form of it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, more more modern form maybe but but he uh so so the marines finally find him and they they murder him um and when they they murder him actually i mean there's a a dark metaphor to this whole thing of just american racism the, the guy who shot him was in blackface um that was how he you know got in to uh of course home. he was yeah yeah, yeah of course. shot yeah. him and, and they wanted to prove to haiti that uh that he was dead um, so they they propped him up on a door frame, tied him up there with his Haitian flag and in uh, his crucifix that's on the top of the Haitian flag. They tie him up. They take a photo of him and then they print out hundreds of copies of this photo and like drop it out of airplanes. So this is my time to finally go. What do you see here, Jackal? Um, what what is this image of Charlemagne Perrault look like? OK. All right. I, I can't wait to see this. Oh God! <laughs> who who does it look like? Uh, this I'm gonna make this Catholic saint. Is it um? How how I'm I'm gonna show my ignorance on Catholic saints. Uh, the the Catholic saint who's uh the one who's uh been shot with with uh with arrows. Um. Oh, it's it's not just a saint. Uh, they, they perceive this as Christ. <laughs> oh yeah okay wait hold on let give me a second let me yeah no this is uh you can even see like you can even see like the, the crew oh my God. Like they, the... this is this looks like a like like this is your you're making a martyr like this is mm-hmm. this is the literal like the... okay so let, let's uh, let me describe this uh so there's yeah. uh he is he's being propped up he's tied to it looks like uh like is it a piece of wood or it's his door it's the door frame uh to his he's... to his home He's propped up by a doorframe with a crucifix and the Haitian flag behind him as he's like, and the way that of how he is posed is in the most like, is in, is, is in like the perfect, like, like martyr messiah. Um, Mm. like, like it's, it's down to just, you know, he, he was, it was clear he was shot while he was, he was naked in his own home. And so they've like tied, you know, a rag around just to cover it. It Even looks like that a fucking looks like Renaissance the, like, painting. Yeah, it like, looks like like a depiction of like, like at the Stations of the Cross. They would see like, all we're missing is like a crown of, thorn, of thorns. Um, so, so, so I'm the, gonna guess. I'm gonna guess if it had the opposite effect of what, the, of what they were expecting. Now, while the U.S. occupation did carry on up into the 30s, and in I think it ended officially in the 40s, this was the symbol of resistance. That's this is why Charlemagne Perrault is the the name people think of. Uh, to this day, actually, a, a book I was reading um, for my research. Uh, this journalist in Haiti in the 80s, uh, they printed out these these new dollar bills in the 80s after the fall of Duvalier. And they they have Toussaint Louverture, the, you know, the original uh, revolutionary. But all the kids on the street, according to this journalist, would call these the Peralt bills. They, they were right. like, that's that's Charlemagne Peralt. It wasn't, but it was because that's that is the revolutionary that people think of. Effectively, uh, that is they, they have it's. This is this is like this should be in a in a in a class that that's taught at like the school of the Americas is oh yeah oh yeah. how not to create don't create a martyr because this is how you this is like 
All right. Yes. Looking at this deeper, the Craig's allegories here are so like. Look at like the look at the like the a composition of this is like is almost stereotypical in how it's done. Yes. This is almost purposeful in, in trying to create like a a martyr for a for some kind of movement. Like this is almost like I could see that this would create like is he a folk saint? This seems like something that would emerge from there. Yeah, and it, not to you know not to mention like you know it when you get into voodoo like um or voodoo like there's a lot of ways to pronounce that um <laughs> I, so many. yeah i know it's so, every book i've read has spelled voodoo differently <laughs> it's and it's like which one is correct which one yeah. kind of makes me sound ignorant which is the good yeah one? which one i i think i i think i, I lean towards saying voodoo because that's the french way of saying it and i'm you know writing about haiti anyway uh yeah, so so like there, there's this identification in Vodou of um of like the spirit of uh of oh man what's his what's the what's the god's name Ogu oh uh, oh hold on let me anyway he's he this this god of war is identified you know um he becomes a suffering god of war in Haitian Vodou as opposed to in the African tradition and because of that uh you know, he's okay. usually uh Ogun yeah yeah Ogun um, I think Ogun. is a yeah. Yeah. Um you, you know he and there there's a lot of ways to you know portray portray him but one of them is is as you know this suffering war god the warrior that's dying and so because of that like you know this this martyrdom image has been heavily associated with Christ. And usually we they you know Haitian Vodou will talk about having the spirit of Ogu um in like when you when you're talking about Dessaline or Louverture, like these these revolutionary heroes, so so Christ and revolutionary martyrdom and all that, it's all meshed up. Like symbolically, this is this was a stupid image to disseminate. <laughs> this is I when you told me that they dropped it, I was not prepared that that, that they, I was not prepared that they were going to do this with like, mm. just look at this thing. Yeah, I mean, like my my thesis for for this chunk of my my history project is I, I'm using um, Turio, who who kind of argues that the Haitian Revolution was this unthinkable thing, and because of that, like whites were you know unable to see what it was. Um, and I'm using that argument to apply to this, where I, I it is so apparent to a black audience or to maybe a more racially egalitarian audience you know, after 1919, that this is a Christ image or a martyr image. Um, yeah, but like it, was this, just, I, it was just seen as a victim image. It was for, for the Marines, it was, like like shooting, is, it was like shooting an animal for the Marines. Like this is, this is like, yeah. if obviously, yeah, like this obviously shows like an ignorance of, of like, like the black community has a lot of martyrs. We have a lot and we yeah. all know them. we all remember them. I remember seeing that like, seeing Martin Luther King Jr. like the pictures of Martin Luther King yeah. Jr. dead. I remember seeing the pictures of of uh of of Malcolm X dead. I like you these images are like gra ingrained into the into like the the, yeah. the the racial trauma of you remember these. You under you know what these mean. Yeah. And when you when you look at this, I can see that to the people of Haiti, this is and especially going like with if you're tired with like <clears throat> like Ogun, who's uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Ogun is, is like is is sort of synchronized with Christ, right? Uh yeah, yeah. He's he's 
sometimes he's also synchronized with um uh another saint i'm blanking uh saint uh, i think saint be... jacques saint jacques yeah. um i can see also like michael too yeah yeah it, it, a lot of times it's it's more than one um you know uh the the voodoo scholar that i i use has this thing about uh, identification um symbiosis through identification so their whole thing is like um, that you have to disregard what the Catholics see as the meaning of the saint and more look at what the images show. Because for a lot of the the um, uh, African Vodou, it was more like uh, like St. Patrick is, is associated with Dambala, um, not because of anything St. Patrick did, but because St. Patrick has a snake and Dambala is a snake right. god. You know, it's it's a lot of very, like, very literal associations. And so, you know, Ogu is kind of the same thing where it's, you know, when you see this suffering, dying uh, martyr, that's that's what gets associated. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, this is, uh, God, yeah, this, um, I, I imagine that this, uh, like you, like how you, you said that this is, they basically created Vietnam and the Caribbean. This is basically handing a revolutionary, a, like a rebel mm-hmm. insurgent movement, a rallying figure to like rally, like to showing them a martyr to rally around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, the 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 state of the the Marines at the point is it's you know there there was this resistance and this contempt against the U.S., but it just they they really never could overthrow it until FDR actually pulled the troops. Um, but there is a deep hatred for the U.S. Uh, in the in the Haitian psyche for if a man very good has reason. money today, people don't care if he has cocoa bay. If a man has money today, people don't care. If he has cocoa bay, he can commit murder and get off free. Live in the governor's company. But if you are poor, people tell you, shoot, a dog is better than you. Now back to art. There was, there was this... Um talked about the kind of primitivist or surrealist movements that were coming to Haiti through the French. Um, and what, what the kind of irony was is the surrealists were wanting to look at what like they see saw as like primitive uh, painting um, as conveying more symbolic meaning uh, than, than their own painting. You know, they wanted to go back to the roots of, of art as symbolic. Um, and so uh, a lot of these surrealists... Um, you know, d- despite the condescending tone, uh, you know, which is important to acknowledge, but but came to Haiti and saw the folk art that was going on in Haiti and, you know, started to fund it and actually be like, no, let's let's set up like schools of art here. And so a lot of uh, what's called the the Haitian Renaissance oftentimes is the 1930s and 40s. But actually, a lot of these these uh, painters uh, like the one I'm about to talk to, uh, Philomé uh, Aubon. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he he, um, he he's born in uh, 1892, so you know he becomes a famous painter like n- way way into his life. He started painting when he was 16, but painting was like a folk tradition. It was just a thing you kind of did, um, and the idea of being a painter as an occupation wasn't as much of a you know a thing until right. the Centre d'Art um, kind of came in and and funded it. Uh, anyway, so so Philomé, uh, he's a great painter. Um, I, he's he's a really fascinating painter. But one of his uh, he, he his idea was uh, what what he would say is, despite the French kind of like having this condescending tone to them, where they're like, "Wow, this this primitive art." He was like, "No, no, no I'm not doing that. What I'm trying to do is uh, is write the history of Haiti with paint 
um, that, that was kind of how he saw it. So he, he felt he was chronicling, um, you know, chronicling paintings. And he had a famous painting. One second here. Da, da, da. I'm going to cut this. But this is uh, this is my one of my favorite paintings now after this research project. Um, and, you know, like I'm saying, this this happened in 1970. Um, so this is much later. Oh, yeah. This. Uh, OK, this is it. Um, yes. So it's uh yeah the as you see the the caption and it's kind of it's kind of hard to read but it's it's the crucifixion of Charlemagne Perrault for liberty. Um, this is a this looks yeah. like an icon. This is a religious yeah. icon. It, it, uh, it is. <laughs> yeah. Like it's uh like from this like obviously the this is definitely like out of a uh, uh like obviously the Christ allegory was apparent in that grisly photo that the the U.S. Uh, Marines had taken, but this takes it to a completely different level in that mm. you see like there's I'm assuming that's his mother. Yeah, or or it, it's kind of hard to know exactly what it's supposed to be. If it's supposed to be Mary, if it's supposed to be just you know a weeping nun or whatever. Right, um, but it's 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 a it is a it is an older ma- maternal figure, uh, weeping at the side of a de- of of a of a of wrongly killed man. That is, yeah. so like and obviously like now that there's the there's it looks like um like the the bullet holes have become the like the the holy wounds in a way. Um, yeah 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 this is a wow yeah this is it's a great painting i i i love it it's it's i i really have a a a deep love for this style of painting that you know i think maybe just with the amount i've been working with it lately i really like it it's um, it's the colors are very it's something that's uh, slightly different with it the colors are not muted like in some other icons you that they have the colors here are very bright and vivid Right. Um, and it contrasts with the with the sort of subject matter that and the context behind it. Yeah. Um, so so the other the last the twentieth century here um, with Haiti to to speed this up to get to the second painting that I'm hoping maybe your your eye with toward painting will help me decode a little bit here. Um, so okay, Haiti. Uh, yeah, U.S. leaves uh, in the late '30s, early '40s. I'm, I don't remember the exact date. Um, We've got uh, a pretty pretty heavy spread of uh, of anti what was called the anti superstition campaigns. So you know uh, there, there's a lot of class war essentially happening within Haiti around the time. And eventually uh, in the 50s, uh, the Devolier regime comes into power, which is uh, Papa Doc and Baby Doc. It's it's two presidents uh, yeah. back, back. Yes, uh, god awful people. Um, Fun thing, they they learned how to rig elections from the Marines, though. So you know, of course they did. Of course they did. Oh yeah, we should mention yeah, yeah, how they rigged the. This is just a good detail. Um, how how they rigged the election is, uh, you know, Haiti's a mostly illiterate country. So what they did was they, they put up the candidate they liked, and they said, uh, okay, uh, white piece of paper, white ballot means yes, and black ballot means no. Okay. Seems, seems whatever. So then the, uh, the voting booths are all established by Marines. So you've got like five armed Marines at the voting booth. Um, and you go up and there's the stacks of white, uh, white ballots on the top of the table and under the table in a locked, <laughs> locked box are the black, uh, black ballots. So you have to ask a man with a gun. So lo and behold, <laughs> these elections would be like ninety five percent yes. Oh, really? <laughs> anyway, so so Devalier takes power, and 
the whole the Valier regime is a really fascinating thing in and of itself. Uh, it, it fell in the eighties through a, a really powerful religious movement um, led by Aristide, who is the first liberation theologian to ever be elected president, um, which is uh, really cool. Anyway, um, so, so that's kind of what's going on at this time. This kind of fascist nationalist uh, comes to power. There's a lot of argument about whether Duvalier is is um, is the first like voodoo regime or not, because he he encouraged it a lot as like the true nature of Haiti. But a lot of scholars will say he wasn't really doing like interested in true voodoo. He was interested in the kind of exoticness that would attract tourism and you, you I think know you it, could there's maybe there's also maybe sort of like a nationalistic aspect to it to yeah, sort of build was... up a like think uh you could roughly compare this to like state shinto with the japanese empire yeah no um, it's it's very similar yeah is that you're not it is not really a matter of if you believe in this religion or not or if you put like or if you like understand it it's that you're you're using it as a crutch for for to build up a nationalistic identity. Yeah, and and he was uh you know he, he was excommunicated from the Catholic Church, but on the other hand, he was like I would hope know, so a, appealing to the Catholic Church, and they they did give him some aid at times. So it, it's a really complicated time for religion in Haiti, and I, we don't have enough hindsight to really I feel like fully understand what happened there. But suffice it to say, um. Images of Mary began to be associated with with rebellion against um, against Duvalier. Yeah, and that's partially from a history that I skipped here. That um, frankly would just be a whole other episode about Marian apparitions in Haitian history, which is super cool, super cool. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah, praying to Mary is kind of becomes to be associated with with um, uh, opposition. Too. Yeah, um, and so and I think got, you can maybe let, maybe. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I was right. just going to say, maybe tie that to, like, um, is the appeal to a maternal figure in, in contrast to this, obviously, you know, like, I, the, I think you could probably call Papa Daka fascist. Um, yes. Oh, yes. Is is sort of like the, 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 the nationalistic, uh, like fascism is, you know, it's like nationalistic uh, chauvinism. Mm -hmm. um, so that you could maybe say, like, there was kind of like a, like, that to contrast and in an opposition to it is sort of like this uh, draw to, to, to Marian imagery. Yeah, there's that. And there's kind of a fascinating irony, because if anything, Marian imagery was used usually by colonial powers up yes. until yeah, up until the late 19th century. Marian, the cult of Mary starts to become a uh, a people's movement and people's religion can do some really powerful shit. That's why Vodou has so much power and why every fucking leader in Haitian history loves Vodou until they get in power and then start suppressing it because people's religion challenges authority and the cult of Mary does that. And then the liberation theology movement that's starting to take over and during the Duvalier regime uh, plays a huge role in that. And the, the people's churches uh, that were springing up that there is not enough writing about, by the way um, it, it's a, such a beautiful movement and I, I wish someone else would write more about it. Anyway, perhaps, perhaps that's a, that, that's a, a call for you to, to yeah, uh, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so they they finally uh, eventually the Valier regime is is overthrown by demonstrations in the street. I'm skipping a lot of details here, but it's you know it's a complicated revolution. But they they oust him, they exile him. The people right. now own, uh, you know, now own Haiti again. 
um again i'm romanticizing it a little bit there's a lot of uh yes lot of but terrible bro, shit that happened also <laughs> yes but in the if in the in the broad strokes uh-huh. it was a good thing to get rid of the dictation yes exactly so now around this time uh the the, the painter obam is um big part of the the uh center of art in haiti it's it's you know the institute that that haitian art is like really kind of comes from in the beginning during the renaissance um during the haitian renaissance um there's a student that comes out of that named ernst prophet this is a guy who's not very well known and from my knowledge he's he's still alive but he's fallen off the face of the earth uh this is really common among a lot of artists in haiti they'll they'll paint for a while they create some really great works but then they just can't afford to keep being painters and so they'll just kind of disappear and raise a family or something and we just don't and know that's where they are so incredibly that's unfortunate so tragic um, yeah, like there's, there's a part of me that hopes that there's a future VLVC episode where it's like, uh, elaborate essay of mine about how I, I hunted down Ernst Prophet to ask him about this painting. Anyway, I mean, if he's still alive, I, it would be, it would I be would interesting to. to, yeah. Yeah. Um, support your local artists, people, uh, pay them. This is the painting. So. This is this is why I'm so fascinated by this is the story I'm kind of telling about Haiti here to lead up to a painting that I cannot I'm baffled by, but I, I love it. It's a painting of a painting of a photograph. So this is uh, it, why, why don't you describe it? Actually, let's let's do that. OK, so. Oh, boy. All right. So we have uh, it looks like it is it is uh, the. Well, I'm I'm going to guess this. Is, this is supposed to represent the massive the the people of Haiti, mm-hmm. uh, propping up um, on a crucifix um, the painting of the picture of uh, of uh, of Charlemagne Perrault, yeah, of of uh, of Charlemagne Perrault, um, propping it. Up. So it's it is. Oh man, this is interesting. Um, you can with the and the background is very minimalist there's mm-hmm. uh, a, a little minimalistic sky with a couple of cl- clouds and the background seems to seems to show a beachhead but it seems to be that it's it's it there's the sand in the background but in the in the, in the foreground is of the sand but the actual background is of the ro- of rolling hills yeah with yeah. And you, you can i thought that that would might have been waves at first but if you look at it you see trees mm-hmm. um so you have rolling green, green hills in the back, um, and the crucifix. So the people are are pulling; they are propping up this this picture of uh, the the painting of of Perot, um, on top of the of the the crucifix, yeah, um, which has the you know the, the like the, the king of the Jews, like the the thing that was put on top of the crucifix, um, yeah, there, and with the 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 Marian figure. Who, who, Mary or or some other matriarch, like a um a maternal Marian figure. I'm glad um, you got this. Side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she, got, and she's notably not a part of the paint. She's not a part of the. I don't understand what what's going on with that. Uh, that's such a fascinating detail. Yeah, that was a deli- yeah. That's a that's that was a deliberate choice here to yeah. not depict her as a part of that because yeah. she was a part, but. Yeah, this is very interesting. <laughs> the and... longer you look at it, so so there's also the class dynamics to this. That's kind of odd. Um, yeah, the you, people you like, like leading the hoisting are, are look like the upper class as the yeah. lower class is cheering on. This I can't tell if this is if he's if he if this is a positive or negative view of a parolt. Um, exactly, or what what's trying to be communicated with this? I don't know. I, and I think it might coming. be both. 
this is coming out right after the Devalier regime. So, you and know, like after the, the fall. Something interesting is that the crucifix is on a is on a very like it's on a stone platform. Like it is a solid like granite oh, platform that, yeah. right there. So, um, okay. So here's an unfortunate part about this: if you backward image search this picture, uh huh, you won't find anything. This is no? the one source. This is also why I, yeah, and it's a really terrible quality painting or, you know, like not painting, um, picture of the painting, yeah. which is really unfortunate because I want to know what the hell the thing at the top of the cross says where, you know, where, you know, King of the Jews would be typically. Is it King of Haiti? King of Haiti? I don't, like, I don't what know is what it? it says. I can't see it because it's too blurry. What, uh, what it is entitled is the re-crucifixion of Charlemagne Perrault. Okay. All right. With that title, that also adds a lot. Okay. All right. Uh, let me let me art history. Let me yeah, imagine yeah. that I'm 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 being I'm being asked asked by my professor. Um, what does this mean? What does this mean? Okay. All right. So obviously, one. Let's. Uh, I'm going to start with that. There's a. I think that this is a this is a depiction of Haitian society. Um, this uh, and the reason that there's that is that we have important aspects of Haitian society clearly shown here. You have the class dynamics of, mm -hmm. uh, and I can't really make up the depictions of the fig because this is such a blurry picture yeah, um, of whether he's noting the, the, the racial aspect that some are, are lighter than not like the, the, the mixed and the, and the black. Um, I'm not sure if he's, if he's showing that, but we have class dynamics of poor and richer and sort of richer Haitians. You have that, Obviously, that the fact in the, in the composition, the crucifix is at the center of the composition. So you can interpret that as being the, the center of Haitian life, of, of Haitian society is of is of the of of this symbol of of of, of martyrdom. Um, yeah. And so we and it's at a solid. It is at a solid like base in the sand. So it is it is firmly planted there. And then we have mm. wooden crucifix rising above, and the people are. And we have the people that are particularly pulling this up are the rich Haitians who are pulling it up while the 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 I guess the 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 working class Haitians are are sort of looking and pulling up at the ends. The people primarily pulling it up are the rich uh, are the upper the upper class of Haiti. Um, and it's of that that painting of of a Perrault. And I'm assuming that by the time that this painting was being done, that painting of Perrault was famous in Haiti. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So if that's um, the case, well, at, at the very least, he studied under uh, Obam. Right. So at the yeah, at the very least, it's an homage to his you know to his mentor. So one can maybe classify this was at the end of the dictatorship, right? Yes, kind of. Um, that's the tricky part here is it's not dated. Um, however, I think they they um, estimate that it is. Uh, that it, it's in the 80s or the 90s. So this is this is either during the Duvalier regime or afterwards. And that's that's why I wanted to add the, you know, the context of like the people's movements uprising against Duvalier, um, because that seems to be a part of the theme here. I yeah. think. And also something interesting is that the Marion figure is not a part of pulling up the. Yeah. She's separate. She's yeah. she's separate from the. She, she's um, weeping. Yeah, she's she's we she's still weeping. So I think maybe if this is all right. Uh, two interpretations here. If this was painted while the dictatorship was going on, this is a critique of how this can be to, uh, a critique of how the the dictatorship is is recrucifying Perrault by using him for their own means. By basically, like you're creating a puppet of 
yeah. of, uh, of, of what this means. Like you're, you're making a mockery of, of the central aspects of, of Asia, of Haitian society, of, of yeah. Christianity, of, of, Rebao, <clears throat> of a parole, of, of these things. And the people are being, you know, like, uh, like being sort of blindsided to it while the Marian figure who can be interpreted as m- many, many things, that can be many things in this, in this <laughs> interpretation. Oh yeah. But, but is weeping is weeping at, at you can maybe say that uh the spirit of haiti is is weeping at, at what is being done to yeah to what is these aspect these central aspects of haitian life um yeah yeah that's one interpretation the second interpretation this was done after is that these are the haitian people reclaiming the the Mm-hmm. These central aspects of Haitian life and putting them back into of Peralt, of 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 the of Vudao, of of the Catholicism, and it is a sort of like a multi-class sort of like trying to recenter their life, like trying to yeah. recenter, re- like trying to recenter their lives in a post-dictatorship society. Mm-hmm. But if that was the case, I'm not sure. Then why is the Marian figure separate Weeping. and and so- it's so like that is a that's so deliberate. The last detail I'll give, um, and then I'll kind of, this kind of is a a good wrapping up to Haitian history because, you know, this is what we move from history to current events in a sense. But um, right after the Duvalier regime fell, um, there's a kind of a complicated era uh, with with a Creole name that I'm not, I don't want to attempt to pronounce because I I don't want to butcher it. Um, But there was an era of trying to get Duvalierism out of everything. And so there was kind of a mass... Uh, you know, Vodou is kind of associated with the Valier. So there's the destruction of, of Vodou, um, you know, temples. There was the destruction of, of um, there was the murder of people who were vaguely associated with the regime that probably weren't part of the regime, you know? Right. Um, there was a lot of that. So the feeling people have about the years Pardon. after Duvalier are complicated because a lot of, you know, it was a beautiful moment of the people uprising, but a lot of innocent but people. You have the, the, ug- the ugly, yeah. the ugliness that often comes when this, when this happens. Yeah. Um, and Oh boy. Yeah. That's that a whole other aspect of what this can be too. Yeah. And so then, but I'll, I'll give a, a kind of a beautiful note, even though things got bad after this, but fuck it, we're just going to end on a beautiful note, which is, uh, you know, the, the people elected Aristide in 1991, um, the first liberation theologian to be elected president uh, in any country ever. Um, and one of the first things he did, despite being a devout Catholic and, and uh, theologian, was to invite Vodou priests um, to meet and have an ecumenical dinner um, as kind of a attempt to shake hands um and provide some element yes i know um and in a in a sense it seems like there is some peace kind of developing between vodou and catholicism i I didn't get in into the role of protestantism uh in haiti that's that's there um it's kind of two different types of protestantism in, in haiti there's people that are assholes and people who aren't uh <laughs> <laughs> that's typical process that's the, i think you just say that's process that's protestants it's uh but like the the anglican and the methodist kind of protestants the main line they're pretty good about about vodou they they uh accept it as a cultural aspect you know aspect right. of the culture and they kind of work within it and one of the a beautiful church that i'm, I'm going to write about in in my history project is uh saint trinity I'm, I'm blanking on what city it's in but it's it's an anglican church that um Oban and, and several members of the of the Center of Art in Haiti um, actually did the murals inside of the the Anglican Church invited uh, folk artists to come in and decorate it. 
It's, That's it's beautiful. Very, yeah, yeah, it's a very beautiful church. Um, yeah. I, I, I think that's that's it. I'm not going to talk about the fact that, that Aristide then had a coup d'etat like several months afterwards and kicked out of office. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's leave it up right now. Let's leave it right now. Merci, bon Dieu. Merci, bon Dieu. Um, you know what? I, I kind of I like how this feels right now, and I feel like it would be, it would be a bit too jarring uh, to do, you know, Patreon and Twitter news and all that. So I, I think maybe we should rack up, wrap up with just some plugs here and, and call it good. I, I think this was. Well, uh, this has been great. Uh, I guess do you want to do some plugs here real quick? Do you want to plug something? Yeah, uh, I guess. Um... I'll end this with, uh, I'll, I'll plug my Twitter, j- at Jackal Jester. Um, mm-hmm. I used to post um, some of uh, an artist thread. I might have to do that again now. Um, mm. Is uh, I would post uh, artists that I really liked um, and examples yeah. of their work. Um, so if you if you want to, you know, if you ever want to like peruse that to see some really great artists, you could do that too. And just yeah. follow me uh, on Twitter uh, because I, I get, I, I have some spicy takes. Um, you, you certainly do. <laughs> um, uh, I'll also take this time to plug in uh, the podcast that I'm I'm on with uh, with um, with Josiah Mammonberg. Mammonberg, um, a trip down the uh, dystopian capitalistic hellscape that we all live through. Um, I would like to invite you to get on that uh, the this uh, this car ride with us as we take a guided trip. Through Mammonberg. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I'm excited to see the future of Mammonberg too. So, um, yeah, you, you, you all should listen to that also. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess, I guess my, my plug for this, uh, episode is going to be, um, I think I've plugged it before, but just since we're talking about it, uh, Silencing the Past by Michelle Rolf Trio, um, is one of the best books about history I've ever read. Um, and also his, his essay uh, that I mentioned before, Haiti as a non-event, is is one of the most uh, important essays to how I look at the world, I think. Uh, so I, I highly recommend it. Right. Actually, can I... I, I want to do another yeah. plug. Okay, there, I, I would like to... Um, uh, I, I'll plug this by saying I think everyone should look at the art of the painter um, Henry Osawa Tanner. He was a black... Um, uh, he was the first um, African-American artist to gain international acclaim. He moved to Paris uh, in like 19, in 1891 to study. He lived there um, after being accepted in uh, French artistic circles. Mm-hmm. Um, he often, he painted um, sort of domestic black life and also biblical imagery. Um, I, uh, there's, I think that in this conversation about like how, uh, how, of black art i think he's a very interesting person to bring up because yeah. he had such a particular this is such a particular way of of a of how of a black artist um have how he depicted black people and there's a very particular there are two particular pieces that i w- would uh, like to put people's attention to is uh uh the you uh the uh sorry uh the annunciation um mm. which is depicting uh the you know the 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 archangel Gabriel visiting Mary to announce that she will give birth to Jesus. Um, yeah. This is a it's such an interesting painting, and in that it you know it has like the 
the interplay of the divine and the and the mundane between such a like this is a Mary who who looks Semitic. She and she looks like a yeah. regular person. She looks like she she looks human, and you have just this blaring light that is the uh, that that is uh, Gabriel. And yeah. the second painting that I want to bring up is uh, Jesus with Nicodemus, hmm. uh, uh, which is depicting a conversation between. Uh, Jesus and uh, and the Pharisee Nicodemus, um, mm. and the depiction of Jesus is very understated, but Jesus is black, um, and it's so it is a beautiful painting of of just like this very like silent conversation between Nic- uh, yeah. between you know Nicodemus and Jesus, a very personal one. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Please look that. Uh, um, please look up uh, Henry Osawa Tanner. He's a fantastic artist. I think. Uh, I think everyone. Uh, he 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 absolutely deserves so much so much attention. Um, yeah. And uh, I I think everyone here would enjoy him. Yeah. Also support your your local art. Support artists. Commission them if you. Yes. If this uh, talk of art has like gotten you interested, if this guy you sort of like yeah like he like sort of spurred something, and you would like sort of art, support artists. You know, buy buy you know prints, buy stickers, buy uh buy um uh buy a commission um yeah buy, buy books you know like support your, your support artists because i think uh artists are uh, play an incredibly important role in uh in, in in culture and society well uh well on that note uh thank you for listening to very legal very cool uh, a podcast about uh, uh the liberation of the haitian people that's that's what i decided You don't know what's going on You don't know what's going on You can't make the world go round You don't know what's going on You get a day and tomorrow you're gone When the holy cow is milking And the greenbacks are rolling King and queen, but when the queen back came brown and you fall down, what you gonna do, baby? Come on, go with me. Come on, take my hand. I'm going home. Come on, go with me. Child's eyes.